At the end of the 19th century in New Haven, Connecticut, Clifford Beers lost his older brother to what was diagnosed as a brain tumor. His older brother had seizures over the two years preceding his death. But before that, his brother had lived a healthy, normal life, done well in school, graduated, worked, that sort of thing. And Clifford, who himself had struggled with bouts of deep depression as a child, became really afraid that he might start having seizures and experience a sudden decline in health, and that he too would die, like his brother. He became paranoid. Then he started contemplating ways to end his life. He settled on jumping out a second-story window, which he did. But he didn't die, though. He landed on his feet and crumbled to the ground, shattering dozens of bones. And if he recovered physically, his mental and emotional recovery was much less forthcoming. He was committed to a turn-of-the-century mental institution, and I don't know if you know this, but mental institutions in the early 1900s weren't exactly helpful. You could say that Clifford Beers recovered in spite of his surroundings, and not because of them. Really, historians attribute his recovery to family members who visited him, even when he suspected that those family members might be imposters. As Clifford convalesced, he sort of got woke to the actual insanity of the way patients were being treated. He started taking notes and writing things down, intentionally getting himself classified as a violent inpatient, just so that he could broaden his research to include another wing of the institution. So after almost three years of hospitalization and clandestine investigation, Clifford Beers was released. He wrote a book about the injustices he experienced entitled A Mind That Found Itself. It's still in print today. And he went on to found several associations and clinics spearheading a new, healthier, better, more human version of treatment and care for people with mental illness. Though Beers wasn't the first or the only person to call for reform in mental health care, it's clear that today's advances would not stand as they do without his work. Clifford Beers died in July of 1943. He had himself committed to a hospital, overwhelmed by the work of fundraising for international efforts in mental health. I'm Nathaniel Bozarth, and this is Wide Ruled. On today's episode, we're talking about mental health and suicide as they affect our schools. We place some resources in the show notes for educators on recommendations for how to act in the wake of tragedy in their buildings. And for anyone who's listening, who's having suicidal thoughts or is deeply depressed, we've linked to some resources for you as well. It's okay. You're not alone. You hear from three people in today's episode. Chris Graham, the girls' soccer coach at Olathe Northwest. You'll hear from an alumnus of Olathe Northwest, We'll call her Adrian, and from the Olathe District Assistant Superintendent, Dr. Aaron Dugan. I talked to Dr. Dugan first with the intent to do a story on how school boundary lines were drawn. As an alumnus of the Olathe school system myself, I've experienced firsthand how the construction of new schools in the district has worked to create greater racial and socioeconomic homogeneity within each school. But as I talked to Dr. Dugan, I learned that the Olathe School District has recently bolstered the way it cares for students with mental health needs. 
She got really excited about a new five-pillar approach the district has instituted to care for their students in this arena. But the story doesn't start out well. It starts out with tragedy. To tell the story, here's Coach Graham. Olathe Northwest was actually hosting the 5A state soccer tournament on that Friday and Saturday. And I was working with our athletic director at the time, Jay Novacek, and we were over there basically just managing everything that was going on and monitoring the games. And I remember on that Friday he had to leave abruptly, and I, he, he didn't really say a whole lot. Um, and he left, and he was gone a while, and I was up in the booth um, with the scorekeeper up there just watching the clock and the game. And my phone rang, and it was Jay. And um, that's when he had told me about Sierra. I, I just remember almost feeling like I, I honestly don't know what to do right now. Like, I don't know whether to, do I, and I even asked Jay, I said, do, I, do you want me to come over? And he said, no, we have the crisis team right now together. Um, and they were, they were working through trying to figure out how to best move forward because they knew that Obviously, with social media, the information was going to get out very quickly, um, and they wanted to try and make sure that the information was being relayed appropriately, but also that the school was trying to do what they could for the students. And then I remember on Sunday, the school was opened up for any students that wanted to come up and just be together, and counselors were on hand, and we obviously had a, a pretty strong turnout of our, of our soccer girls. Um, and at one point toward the end, I talked to actually Dr. Dugan, and we made the decision to take that group of girls, and we went back, my assistant coach and I took that group back um, to my classroom so that we could kind of be together and talk through some things. I, I tried to make sure that I let the girls know that we needed to grieve, but we also needed to understand that the decision that had been made was a horrible, horrible decision. The news that athletic director Jay Novacek had told Coach Graham over the phone was that Sierra had completed suicide. Adrian was on the soccer team with Sierra. Here's Adrian now. On Friday night, when I found out, I was on my way to my boyfriend's birthday dinner with his family, and I was in the backseat of the car and got a text, and I like just kind of ignored it. I was like, I have no idea what to do. It's like, it, there's no way, like, this is real. Like, I didn't really know her very well, but I knew her, like, she was a teammate and, like, we were friends, but um, it didn't really hit me until Sunday when we were with the team and everyone was sitting around the table crying um, and, like, looking around and seeing how hurt everyone else, like, is what really hurt me the most, I think. That was really hard on me. So Sierra completes suicide Friday. The team, teachers, parents, and students hear about it in fits and spurts all that day and Saturday. And on Sunday, Coach Graham has all the soccer girls come out to the school to talk with them and to be together. There's email communication between the school's administration and parents, and teachers have received instruction to communicate with their first-hour students Monday morning regarding the tragedy. So Coach Graham is, is giving this talk. He says he didn't really know what to say. He said that they don't really train you for this sort of thing. And then a knock comes at his door. It was Adrian. Here she is talking about how that Monday morning started for her. 
somebody had walked in um, to the school, it was right when the day was starting, and came up to me and she was like, my dad is a firefighter and like he responded to this call last night um, and I think it was Katie, but I'm not really sure. And like, I immediately, I texted Katie and no, she didn't respond obviously. And I still have that text too. Like, I don't think I'll ever delete that. And I went to my first hour for like five minutes and I told the teacher I had to go and he just assumed that it was about Sierra. And Brittany and I went and told Coach Graham and at that point, like, this girl, whoever this girl was, her dad, that her dad responded to, she was telling everyone. Um, and so people were like starting to find out, but nobody knew if it was true. And then that's when it was like brought to the administration's attention that something may have gone wrong. So news is spreading quickly. It's kind of gossip at first because it hadn't been confirmed yet. But the reason the firefighter was involved was because what they did know was that someone had stepped in front of a train the night before. So as soon as Adrian and her friend knock on Coach Graham's door and tells him what she had heard, they heard to the office to try to get some concrete, verified information. The school psychologists and the administration team set to work to get a grip on what's going on, sending both Coach Graham and Adrian away for a moment. And I had to go back to class because I, I still had a classroom full of kids. Now <laughs> you're trying to figure out how to deal with a classroom full of kids that are wondering what the heck's going on and with the with Sierra and then all of a sudden now you're this bombshells going off about now we possibly have um, uh, a second one after I went to the office they sent me and the girl that was with me to the what, the auditorium or something where mm-hmm. people yeah. were gathering I remember just sitting there with like half the soccer team and um, Coach Grandma texted me and he was like, like, just so you know, it's true. And like, people are gonna start finding out. And I had to be the one to tell the girls that I was with like that it was true. And like the way they, they reacted was insane. Like people, I'll never forget, um, one of the girls on the team like stood up and threw a chair across the room. And it was, it was crazy. It was super heartbreaking. I think that's when it really hit me. And at that point, I don't even know how to describe, I don't even know how to describe the building. Um, Because there's, at at that point, there's no controlling the message because now it's blowing up on social media and it's getting, and all these kids' phones are going off in class and and they're, they're finding this stuff out. And I, looking back, I don't even know who the student was. We there was a student that was laying in the in the fetal position um, on the floor in the in the commons, um, just completely unable to handle the emotions of what was going on. Uh, kids were allowed to to leave as long as they had parent permission, uh, because we didn't feel that we could provide everything that needed to be provided to the 2,000 students that were in our building. At first, it was like complete chaos, and people were just bawling everywhere and freaking out and not knowing what to do and not knowing what's going on. And it was just very like hard to understand. And then we went into that conference room for a while, and then I came out, and the school was silent, and it was just kind of like there were people there, but it was just very quiet, like no one was talking. And 
It's just a very weird feeling. But the really jarring thing for the soccer team was that this girl, Katie, who stepped in front of the train, was in the room on that Sunday evening where Coach Cram was addressing the girls. You've already got a group that's grieving over the loss of Sierra on Friday and have not even begun to come to grips with that. And then you just, you, you magnified it a thousand times with the actions that Katie took and, and the fact that she sat in the room with us on Sunday um, and was part of that conversation and was, um, was in the room to see how this had affected and impacted the girls. And there are questions that anybody that was sitting in that room on that Sunday, we will always ask ourselves: how did we not notice this? What could we have done differently? Could we have talked to her? Could we have, could we have pulled her close? Could we have done something different? And the, the reality is, you don't know. Thinking back on it, she was acting so different than everyone else. She was sitting right next to me, and she, like, everyone was crying. Like, I was crying because people around me were crying kind of thing. And she just sat there and didn't say anything. She didn't, like, seem very emotional at all, um, which at the time, like, I didn't even notice, honestly. Um, when we were leaving, she, like, even hugged me and was like, it's going to be okay, like, whatever. Because Katie and I were a lot closer than Sierra and I were, and so, like, Katie was trying to be there for the people around her, but, like, wasn't, like, it seemed like she didn't need help when she was the one, I think, that did need the most help, which you don't, like, looking back on it, like, now if I was in that situation, I would look for those people who seemed like they were handling it well. Coach Graham added that he had trouble teaching in the following months, turning that Sunday over in his head, wondering if there was something he could have done differently. In retrospect, he talked about how essential it is in the wake of tragedy to try to be okay with the mystery, because ultimately it wasn't helpful to run through the endless hypothetical iterations of that Sunday meeting. It's better to sort of sit in the discomfort not denying it, not negating the horrible feelings, but trying to avoid the Sisyphus game of self-indictment. Several months later, the girls' soccer season started, and with it came a new set of difficult challenges relating to the deaths of Sierra and Katie. You know, as a school and as a program, we had to kind of figure out how we were going to deal with it, knowing that the kids were going to want to have and we're going to want to do tribute things and, and, and aware of that fact, but also wanting to make sure that we walk the line of we want to remember, but we don't want to make it sound like this was a good decision. It was about how, how do we allow them to, to mourn and grieve individually and encourage that without anybody believing that we were doing something as a team that promoted the idea that it was okay. It's like I remember wanting to make bracelets for them and going to him to talk about it and then having to go talk to administration, like having them just say, like flat out say no was really hard. But we did it anyways. <laughs> um, you did it anyway? Yeah. Um, I don't know. Like some people wanted to make t-shirts for them, which was a little much, I think. But it was really hard, like when you weren't getting permission to like just make a little bracelet. 
you could completely understand why they, as a team, wanted to do bracelets or even T-shirts or whatever their way of remembering them was. You, you, I could understand that. But then you also, as the person in charge, had to be, I still had to be aware of the fact that now the actions that we take in response to the choices they made, if we do something that's outwardly that people can see, what happens if there's a kid in the stands one night or there's a, a kid on another team or um, a kid that just happens to be in the hallways that sees them wearing the shirts or the bracelets? Does that make them feel like all of a sudden, wow, see, somebody is going to remember me if I, if I do this? And, and kids that don't feel like they have any other options and don't feel like they're being noticed, are those things going to push them to that, that outer edge and, and, and then help them to make a decision that obviously we don't want them to make? For you, did that feel like it inhibited like grieving for your friends at all? Um, it was really hard because it was just like our way of remembering them, I think. And like, it was hard because we thought of it more of like, if we like make bracelets or whatever, then like, that's kind of a way of like, going against suicide in a way and like saying like, it kind of shows people like the effect that it had on us. And like, we thought of it as like, maybe people will see like, that it is a bad thing. And like, it affects your friends and your family more than you would ever think. Um, and so like that's kind of why we wanted to do it and like for us it kind of just helped like thinking that they're still there with us kind of thing i put a link to a resource published by the american foundation for suicide prevention in the show notes it's an after suicide toolkit for schools i'm going to read a statement from it quote schools should strive to treat all student deaths in the same way having a one approach for a student who dies of cancer for example, and another for a student who dies by suicide reinforces the unfortunate stigma that still surrounds suicide and that may be deeply and unfairly painful to the deceased student's family and close friends. At the same time, schools should be aware that adolescents are vulnerable to the risk of suicide contagion. It's important not to inadvertently simplify, glamorize, or romanticize the student or his or her death. End quote. Coach Graham and the administrative staff behind him were primarily concerned with halting suicide contagion by controlling the student response to the two girls' deaths. They wanted to be really cautious that no one would glamorize, romanticize, or glorify the way they died for fear that this might lead to more suicides. So though Coach Graham and Adrian had differing perspectives on the nature of bracelets by which to remember Sierra and Katie, it's clear that Olathe Northwest was trying to follow best practices. It's also clear that dealing with suicide in your school is just not an easy task. It's really complicated. And unfortunately, it's all too common. In the U.S., about every 90 minutes, someone between the ages of 0 and 24 commits suicide, according to the American Association of Suicidology. Adrian said that the whole thing was more difficult than she put on at the time. She said she was outwardly focused, trying to comfort others, while sometimes ignoring her own pain and emotions. If you could go back and say something 
to yourself at that time? What would you like? What would you say to yourself? That it's okay to be upset and like it's okay to not be okay and like break down in front of other people because like you need help whether you want like whether you want it or not or think you need it or not. It's like okay to surround yourself with people that are gonna be there for you when you're upset and like you need to let them know that you're upset so they know to help you. Otherwise, you're just kind of on your own. Adrian's a college student now. She's a huge advocate for her classmates to use the free counseling services that many university campuses offer. She says she'll even encourage classmates to go for little things that don't seem like they're a big enough deal. And of course, not everyone goes because there's this big stigma against counseling, or they say it takes too much time, or it's expensive. But that's why the Olathe School District is responding in a sort of cutting-edge manner to the tragedy we just recounted. This brings us to that original conversation I told you about, the one with the assistant superintendent, Dr. Aaron Dugan. Out of a, a recent tragedy, really kind of leveraged some of the energy and engagement from our staff and community and said, we got to do something differently. Um, so we've established over the last two years, we call kind of our five pillars of mental health initiative, emotional wellness, that we've said it's as much a priority for us that our students are emotionally well as they are academically successful. And you really can't do one without the other. Uh, and An emotionally distraught student or, or a tra- traumatized student isn't going to perform at their uh, peak. And so we looked at first, what are we doing for all kids? How are we addressing emotional stability and wellness and taking good care of yourself? Uh, then we looked at what do we do for kids that need a little something extra? Uh, they need to meet with a small group uh, of other uh, children from divorced families or Um, kids that have dealt with domestic violence or substance abuse and so we looked at kind of how we taking care of that next group Um, and then our most recent thing that I get really excited about is we reached out to our community and said there is a stigma to reaching out and accessing mental health services so let's bring the services to the school because families in a life feel safe at school kids feel safe at school and sometimes it's hard uh, for families to schedule everything and you leave school and you've got soccer practice on how to fit in the visit to the psychologist um, but somehow when you say hey gosh maybe I'll put you out of math you want to see the psychologist there's a lot more interest so we have added uh, this year we added to two of our high schools a full-time uh, behavioral consultant paid for through our school districts foundation and then also a community organization Um, and they meet the needs of those students that need more than just our school counselors, more than a small group or a lunch buddy, but they really need therapeutic services once, twice, three times a week. They may need their parents to join them, and we can get at some of these things without um, causing that discomfort, having to leave. Um, Sometimes we bill families insurance if they're able. If they can't pay, we take care of them anyway. And so it's been our most exciting piece. We're waiting on some grant funding to see if we can now move that into all of our, all four of our high schools and then our fifth high school that opens in a year um, and then start to look at our middle schools. Dr. Dugan went on to say that folding these services into the school building makes for a more personal, individualized student experience. She believes this is the way that the education system as a whole is heading. And I hope she's right, but it's notable that the Olathe School District's ability to implement this innovative program is dependent upon funds raised by the Olathe Public Schools Foundation, as well as strong partnerships with local clinics and universities. And it's not that the Olathe Schools are serving a demographic made entirely of the top 1% earners. 
but they do benefit from upper-middle-class parents that live in the district and from a city government that considers those schools their principal selling point as a city. Similar funding benefits and supports may not be forthcoming in many school districts that serve a lower-median income demographic. That to say, Dr. Dugan's dream of mental health services in every school building will be far easier to achieve for some districts than others. State or federal resources may be necessary toward building equity in the arena of school-proffered mental health services. And in addition to the steps that the Olathe School District has taken, the state of Kansas has also become one of 19 states to pass legislation relating to youth suicide in the form of the Jason Flat Act. The act requires additional training for teachers in youth suicide awareness and prevention, but Coach Graham seemed almost irritated by this legislation as a teacher who had gone through the grieving process with his students. He said he didn't feel like watching a PowerPoint and hearing some statistics could have ever made him more apt to deal with the crisis of suicide. Rather, he suggested that steps be made toward greater partnership between teachers and parents so that the two groups could be in better communication about concerns about students and really care for those students in tandem. Okay, before we close, I want you to hear how that soccer season ended, the season after Sierra and Katie were lost. It's cheesy, but the reality is that it's like what went on that season is honestly, it's kind of, it's kind of movie stuff. I mean, it really is. You know, we hadn't won a regional championship in, I don't know, five or six years. And that's the group that won it, was that group of kids. It's not because they were the most talented group of kids that, that played, um, but everything that they did, they did together. Um, oh, unbe- oh, unbelievable, yeah. They, they, the, the, fact, the way that they came together and, and, um, and worked together and played together and, you know, used, used what had happened as, 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 a, as a reason to, to be together I think was was really a positive thing for me to see. I think it allowed a different kind of therapy um, for our girls. Sprinting and tackling and scoring to victory, it's like the 11 players on the pitch were carrying Sierra and Katie with them. And with that fairy tale ending, I'm Nathaniel Bozarth, and this has been a May Mental Health Awareness Month episode of Wide Ruled, Brain Newt's podcast on the past and present of equality in education. I, w- I want to say again that if you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, there is help out there. A few links or resources are in the show notes at brainroot.tv slash podcast. If you feel like this story was an important story to tell, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. If you'd like to support Wide Ruled, because it's surprising how long it can take to create a single podcast episode, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash wideruledpodcast, where you can support us by pledging a few bucks for every episode we turn out. And if you have questions or comments, we'd love to hear them. You can email us at wideruledpodcast at brain root.tv 
Wide Rule is produced by myself in conjunction with executive producer Christopher Cook. Music for today's episode comes from audioblocks.com. Thanks for listening.